Welcome to Pick Me Up, I'm Scared, the podcast. I'm your host, Madeline. And I'm your co-host, Kenna. Okay, Kenna, today um, I wanted to ask you, I know you're 35, I'm about to be 35. If you were single and you were on dating apps, what age range would you like set for yourself? Oh my God. Uh... Probably, like, between, like, 30 and 50. Maybe, like, even 55. Oh, wow. Maybe, like, yeah, probably, like, maybe even up to 60. Because there's, like, there's some, like, uh, like, Anthony Bourdain style. I was just watching that before, and I was like, oh, yeah. I would date someone his age. I like that. I I feel (laughs) like I would probably set it for, like, 30 to 40. Mm. You know, I feel like that's like five years below my age, five years above my age. I think that's what I would go for. Yeah. And I mean, maybe like, oh, I don't even like maybe 29 and a half. Maybe. Like they were turning 30. It's too weird. It's kind of, I mean, yeah. You know, we're just like, you're you're an adult when you're 29 and a half. I feel like you're not really an adult till you're 30. I kind of feel that way too. But, like, isn't there some science where, like, your brain really, like, I, I heard, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like your brain doesn't even fully develop until you're, like, 32 or something. The only thing I've heard is the prefrontal cortex doesn't stop developing until you're 25, but I don't know if that's true. I haven't looked that up. Yeah, I'm not, I just feel like in if I'm making the arbitrary rules, you are not an adult till you are 30. I like that. I think that makes sense to me. I think that there should be a different term for like 20 to 30. What it's like it's like teen part 2. It's post teen. Post teen, yeah. Um well, you know, if we were straight men looking to date and we were <laughs> being our truest true selves. No. Us at 35 are um like Tinder age range preferences would be uh 18 to 24. Oof. I know. And it's like, can you imagine if I rolled up and I was like, hey, Kenna, this is my new boyfriend. His name's Todd. He's 20. He's a sophomore in college and he lives at a frat house at this stage in my life. <laughs> would you Would you be like, yeah, that makes sense for you. Love that for you. I would just be very confused. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be like, whoa, Madeline, are you okay? <laughs> this seems very out of character. Yeah, well, it's very normal if gender is reversed, though. So today, we are going to be talking about um, why straight men all want to date teenagers. Oof. I know. It's a creepy one. It's a creepy one. Um, so if I was a straight man dating woman, a, a woman, this would actually be pretty normal for me to be like, yeah, I'm 35 and I've got my 20-year-old uh, girlfriend. According to a data closing study uh, using data about who men try to match with and date on the internet, men from 20 to 50 years old are statistically most attracted to 20-year-old women, which also just happened to be the youngest woman they made available in the data. So could go younger if there was oh. a younger woman to go. Oh, I don't want to know. <laughs> a funny thing happens at, at um, around 45 years old. Uh, men think maybe I should grow up a little or something. And then that age jumps from 20 to 24. Uh, but then by the time they turn 49, it's way back down at 20 again. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, by contrast, heterosexual women are always, uh, attracted to people 
not always, but always most attracted to statistically, people within a five-year age range of themselves. But it's usually just one or two years difference, the same study found. The, the widest that the averages get are five years, and that's when you're in like your late 40s. Interesting. Which I feel like that makes sense. It gets a little harder to tell what age people are in your yeah, late 40s. I think that people's idea of age and what age looks like and what age feels like, what it, like, is just people don't really know. I feel like people think they know. And they don't. They don't. It's like, oh my gosh. You know, it's like, uh, we think now that science has all the answers, but there was like this one article where it's like, in so many of these research groups or whatever, the the um, sample size they use is like 60 people or the way that they do stuff where like... Um, the statistical model could be like, we just proved ESP is real using the statistics we always use for stuff. So I'm just right. like, people think that they know and people think that they know how to predict stuff. They know what things are like, but people really fucking don't. Like, I feel like a lot of people don't understand. Yeah. Age. Yes. Well, it's interesting because, um, so about this phenomenon, the OK Cupid founder, Christian Rudder said, um, you know, from the time you're 22, you, you being a straight woman, you'll be less hot than a 20 year old based on OK Cupid's data. So that's just a thing. Um, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Um, he's actually really funny because in similar to what you were talking about in this same article, he was like, hey, dudes, why, if you're 35, don't you just message 35-year-old women that are just as hot as 25-year-old women? And then he's like, I know what you're thinking. How could a 35-year-old woman be just as hot as a 25-year-old woman? And he kind of did the thing where he's like, I invite you to consider you do not know what people's ages look like. Here are a bunch of women. Can you tell which ones are 35 and 25? And you look at the pictures and you're like, no, I can't tell. I literally yeah. cannot tell. Um, so he was actually pretty funny and kind of got on the same thing you were talking about where people have no idea what age actually looks like. Another study though, published by science advances found similar data, but they lowered the ages available for consideration to just 18. And what they found was that men statistically preferred 18 year old girls over all other candidates, regardless of their own age. I hate this. I know. And I feel like and 18 looks like 18. I feel like that's not like the difference between 25 and 35. And yeah. It, and it's not me being like you know, like, fuck Gen Z or like, you know, <laughs> fuck the younger people or it's just, I just don't like this idea of like, well, I don't think women being only good when they're like 18 to 20. Yeah. Like that's just like fucked up. To be to fair, me. I don't think uh, Gen Z likes the idea of 50 year old men going, <laughs> yeah, that looks good at them either. I feel like they are largely creeped out by that as well. Uh, so the peak age for sexual desirability in that same study that put women's peak sexual desirability at 18, according to men, uh, for men, it was 50. What? Yeah. Okay, who, okay, but who is doing this study? It's women of all age ranges. So this was a science advances study. <laughs> but by contrast, at age 50, the French novelist Yann Moi recently came under fire for publicly saying that 50-year-old women are basically like hideous trolls. He said, the body of a 25-year-old woman is extraordinary. The body of a woman at 50? Not extraordinary at all. What? What about like... He was 50 when he said this. He is 50. Also, that's <laughs> not true. Like, uh. Okay, yeah. So, um, all of our grandpas are basically creeps. Uh, <laughs> because this is not a two-way street. 
Uh, so a 2010 study by OkCupid found that, quote, the median 30-year-old man spends as much time messaging teenage girls on that app as he does women his own age, or website, not app. The same study found that as men get older, they search for increasingly relatively younger and younger women. A 31-year-old straight guy, for example, sets his allowable age range for dating from 22 to 35. Nine years younger is allowed, but only four years older. A 42-year-old straight man will accept a woman 15 years younger, but she can only be three years older. When straight women set these preferences, it's usually a relatively equal amount in both directions for you know, a reference point. In one study from 1989, evolutionary psychologist David Buss found that in each of the 37 different cultures he surveyed, men preferred to marry younger women by an average of 2.6 years. And according to US census data, straight men are 1.84 years older than their wives on average. However, straight couples who remarry are likely to end up with a second wife that's even younger. 60.5% of remarriages with heterosexual couples feature a younger woman. So it is the first wife's club. It's the first wife's club, which I actually, we're going to talk about that later, and I'm really excited you do too. Yes, it's the first wife's club. Um, so why is this happening? So a lot of men will hear this data and go, well, that makes sense. We're seeking out the most fertile women from a biological imperative. Uh, and from a quick glance, this argument like almost makes sense, except a 24-year-old woman is statistically just as fertile as a 20-year-old woman, having a 96% chance of conceiving a child within one year of trying every single month. And there's a huge myth about fertility anyway. So there's that thing called the fertility cliff, which I'm sure, have you heard of the fertility cliff? Uh, not that term specifically. Oh, okay. So it's this idea that at 35, your fertility is a cliff and it just plummets and you'll never be able to have a baby after 35. Um, and scientists were telling us this for years, but we actually know that it is not at all true. From 35 to 39, your chances of trying to get pregnant in a year do fall compared to your early 20s, but it's down to just wait for it, 78% chance of getting pregnant within one year of trying. Oh. Right? <laughs> so a 2013 study out of Denmark found just under 80% of women 35 to 40 years old got pregnant naturally within a year of trying to conceive. In fact, the myth of the fertility cliff is largely tied to one study from 1700s France. Oh my God. You know, a time when life expectancy on the whole was under 30 due to lack of adequate health care. So they're like, because if you're over 30, you're probably dead. You're anyway. dying. Yeah. <laughs> you have rampant malnutrition. You caught a fever and it killed you. You cut your finger and it got infected and your whole family's now dead of some sort of it's bacterial like, infection. It's like the organ trail. Did you ever yes. play that game when yes. you were like in computer lab as a kid? I always died of a broken arm. Oh, yeah. I loved Oregon Trail. I always made it to Oregon. I'm a survivor. I only made it once because <laughs> I kept dying of broken arms or dysentery. Well, at least you were less colonizing than me then, I guess. My my uh, Oregon Trail experience was when just rife with colonization. That game was fucked. It's pretty And fun. they had yeah. us playing it at, like, eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, like, your first grade classroom, you played the oh Oregon Trail. God. Um, okay, so IVF, egg freezing, fertility stuff, all of that is a really big business with the global fertility market value to be around $48 billion. And they are actually the ones fighting to maintain a lot of these myths about the fertility cliff today. Because if they can fear monger you enough into thinking you'll never be able to have a baby, they can convince you to freeze your eggs. Oh, shit. So while I was researching this, I actually found a few websites where I was like, what? All of this data is not correct at all compared to these other scientific journals that I'm getting info from. And when I looked into it 
more, they were fertility clinics posting these websites that look like they're facts about fertility, but if you scroll and do enough deep dive, you realize that no, it's a fertility clinic, try, clinic trying to convince you to use their products. So they're largely responsible for keeping this kind of myth of the fertility clip uh, going around. Oh my God. But another thing that's weird to me about this idea that men are like, oh, I just want the fertile woman. It's like, okay, well, if that was a biological imperative in your mind, right? Women would also be choosing a partner to reproduce with based off of their potential fertility too, right? It's not like biology just skips one gender if that is what people want to go with. After all, men younger than 40 have a better chance of fathering a child than those older than 40. And the quality of the sperm men produce seems to decline as they get older as well. Um, men older than 40 have fewer healthy sperm than younger men. And the amount of semen, which is the fluid that contains the sperm, and sperm motility, the ability to move around and go towards an egg, they decrease continually from the ages of 20 on. So just like a woman is technically most fertile in her early 20s, so was a man. And there's a gradual slow decline from there. So men alone are responsible for up to 50% of all fertility cases out of the other half. So if this really was like a biological thing, why wouldn't women be doing it too? Yeah, this seems like kind of like a, tor a tornado storm of misogyny and eugenics. It is, it is. Uh, and yet we see straight women continuously being uh, most attracted to men their own age, regardless of how strong those men's perceived sperm truly is. Uh, or are. Sperm. Are. What is, what is, a, is there a plural of sperm? Sperms? Is sperm, is sperm the plural? Is one. Of, is it like deer? I think it's like deer. <laughs> I think yes. Um, so additionally, we know that women live on average five years longer than men, which makes these age gaps even less biologically beneficial for a woman. A 2006 study found that 69% of caregivers in the U.S. were women with an average age of 60 years old. And many women in relationships with older men spend the end of their lives caring for their ailing partners until they die. And then they live alone until their own death. A process which causes the woman mental and physical health uh, deterioration since living alone in old age has proven time and time again to be really, really bad for us. Ugh, I if, mean, just living alone in general, like even when like, no matter what age you are, like it's like terrible to be isolated. That's why like, ugh, it's just hard to think about people living so disconnected to each other or like in prison, you know, being in prison. Like it's just, yes. I'm like, oh, like why can't we just have like, places where we can all hang out with each other and no one's alone. Ah, this yeah. Is, Kenna if, had too much caffeine and is dreaming of utopia. No, I like it. I like <laughs> it. It's like, what if like societies were actually set up to be like more social because we're social creatures mm -hmm. rather than isolating us and then putting us in our own little like rat race and telling us everybody around us is the enemy and if we just keep our nose down like everything will be fine it's like that's the structure that capitalism provides which is like not at all inherent to like our well-being so if women live five years longer on average than men and this was all some sort of like biological imperative women would statistically be seeking partners five years younger than them to ease this gap but that doesn't happen so what we know basically is all these men who are like yeah, like a 20-year-old woman or an 18-year-old girl. Like, that's just biology. It's not. It's not at all about biology. Um, it's actually more about what you touched on earlier. 
misogyny. Yay. Yeah, it seems like, <laughs> it seems like a, a, a power and control thing. And it very much is. So when you compare data about age differences between partners, that same data found by David Buss in 1989 showing the spouses in 37 countries with older men and younger women, when you compare that with those same country scores on the UN Gender Equality Index, scientists Alice Early and Wendy Wood discovered, quote, as gender equality increased, women experienced less preference for older men men experienced less preference for younger women and consequently the sex difference in the preferred age of mates became smaller and quote in countries like finland where gender equality ranks much higher than the u.s they are third in the world uh the u.s ranks 53. <laughs> why am i not surprised no. we always think we're number one i know um a report of 878 adult men and 1789 adult women found that people as they aged were extremely likely to date others in their same age range which Jan Antfolk, who conducted the study, uh, explicitly said was probably due to the country's relatively high amounts of gender egalitarianism. And even though the US falls behind on gender equality, we do see some elements of this happening in our own history here too. Between 1910 and around 2014, Temple University graduate student Kelly Fagan found that the proportion of men who married a woman 11 or more years younger than them declined from 18.9% in first marriages and 60.5% oh. in remarriages, which we talked about, <laughs> to just 2.3% and 22%. And that same time period, the mean difference in age between spouses declined. According to Fagan, it shrank from 4.07 years in 1910 to 1.86 years in around 2010 to 2014. As women entered the workforce, uh, pursued higher education at rates equal to, and eventually even exceeding men's, uh, I think women go to college more than men do now, and fought for equal status, marriages between much older men and younger women became less common. And this is because in a society where a, a woman's status is directly linked to who you marry, marrying the most successful man you could find has clear discernible benefits in your own life. And as wealth tends to accumulate for people predisposed to building wealth later in life, dating someone older than you was a good way to date someone with more wealth who could potentially set you up for a more financially stable future. Most studies found the age range of preference in situations with less gender equality to be around a 10 year age gap with men on the older end and women on the younger end. And when men become uh, more financially successful than their peers, they tend to pursue even younger partners with less power than them. And many psychologists say this is because a woman with less equality in the relationship or less power in the relationship is more likely to flatter them and uphold their ego rather than hold them accountable as a true partner would. They have an invested financial interest in keeping the man happy for their own well-being and men are all too eager to exploit that. On the flip side, when women become more financially successful than their peer group, they actually tend to pursue older partners to match their level of success in place in life to try to balance out any power dynamics that might be occurring with people their own age if they find themselves, you know, kind of priced out of where men their age are at. So men actively seek out these imbalances and are like, yeah, I, I want more of that. I like that power. And women on the flip side try to control for it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it it makes sense, like, intuitively. It does. Um, and then, you know, we have all those creepy beauty standards, which seem to exploit the idea that women should be forever young. Um, but, like, how young? So being small and hairless somehow became our beauty standard. Yeah. And many people online uh, liken this to blatant pedophilia, 
Like, uh, man, if you want a petite, shaved, docile young woman, at what point do you acknowledge that you just want a child? And I know this is a hot topic of conversation on the internet, on Twitter, on TikTok. Lots of people talk about this, and it's pretty candid. And I couldn't find any, like, actual scientific studies done about this or, like, historical data studies or anything. But, you know, it is a compelling argument. Our fascination with women being youthful as an indicator of beauty has far-reaching implications and uh, have led some feminist authors to proclaim that the patriarchy is pedophilia. By contrast, queer people are more likely to acknowledge that women face additional pressure to look young in society, are more likely to find older women attractive, and are more likely to personally reject the idea that people need to look young to be valuable, according to a study done um, by a queer website called Autostraddle. The average person voted into their decidedly gay Hot 100 was 33.5 years old, compared to Maxim's decidedly straight top 10 hottest women list, where the average was just 28. Maxim's list only featured 20% of the hotties over the age of 30, whereas Autostraddle's was 55% over 30. Queer dating experiences do, of course, include age gap relationships. However, they don't come along with the unique patriarchal overtones of power and oppression that we see as a feature of them in heterosexual relationships with older men and younger women. And none of this is to say that it's terrible for younger women to date older men. It's just more to acknowledge that the prevalence of these standards of youth and beauty applied to women in the world reek of patriarchy and power on the whole and are more about social conditioning and bias rather than some one-way street of a supposed biological imperative men try to pass off as only natural. As Rebecca Stoner writes in the article Unconventional Wisdom for the Outline, quote, the claim that men naturally prefer younger women is an assertion of power cloaked in the language of evolutionary psychology. It implies that a woman's accomplishments, power, money, intelligence, and ambition are, at best, secondary commodities on the marriage market. It's an idea that serves to frighten women, to make us grateful for the male attention we receive, and warn us that it could all evaporate within a few short years. It orients us towards what men want, instead of leading us to ask what we value in a partner, or whether we would even want one, especially one who prizes us mostly for our youth. Susan Sontag says it best in her 1975 essay, The Double Standard of Aging. Taste is not free, and its judgments are never merely natural. Rules of taste enforce power structures. So this is more about how, how women are viewed as they age in society. How are we valued? Especially women over the age of 35. Um, and this is where the First Wives Club thing comes in. <laughs> so if you don't know what the First Wives Club is, it's a movie about a bunch of friends from college who reconnect later in life after one of their friends tragically dies. And there are all of these points where they're in these marriages they've had for years and their partners are not appreciating them or throwing them away. They're getting divorced, they're broken up, and they usually are dating younger women. And all of them come together to get revenge on their shitty husbands or ex-husbands. And for some reason, people like in my age range, like me, Kenna, one of my friends who's my age, David, we all grew up loving this movie. Yeah, but the thing is, is like, this is like a, an adult movie yes. and we were watching it as children. Loving like, I it. remember being like, probably in like fifth grade or under being like, this movie is amazing. Same experience. <laughs> so me and my friend David talk about how we were children. We saw this in the theaters, but like, I saw it with like my stepmom. It's definitely like a movie that was intended for like women in their forties, but for some reason it really resonated with children who it's, watched it it's too. It's weirdly a kid's movie and I don't know how, but I, I have a hot theory that okay, what is it? Uh, most children are goth. 
Oh, I think that too. Yes. And it was a very like anti-patriarchy movie, which was cool. It was kind of punk. Um, there was like a cool lesbian college age daughter in it, you know? Cool style. Yeah. And she was like, I hate my dad. Come on, mom. Let's take him down. You know, it just had all the elements of like, a, it was campy. It, it was good. There's like also like when you're a kid, sometimes watching a movie where it's like, fuck the adults. You're yes. Like, yeah. And the men were the adults in this. Um. <laughs> So yeah, I I loved this movie. I loved the message. I loved the first wives. Um, But even though I loved it all, when I watched that movie, Sarah Jessica Parker is in it and she plays one of the hot young new girlfriends. And I always loved her in this movie. I mean, she's not like a nice person, but I was always like, wow, she's so hot and glamorous. So even though I liked the movie and I was not rooting for her, I still found myself relating to Sarah Jessica Parker. But now as I get older, when I watch movies like this or TV shows with like, you know, the older ex-wife and the new hot young girlfriend or whatever, I don't relate to the hot young girlfriend anymore. I'm officially at the age where I relate to the scorned like ex-wife. Yeah. And I, I do hate like, well, now that I'm older, like you would expect for me to be like, you know, fuck Sarah Jessica Parker. I'm, what's her name? Uh... Brenda. Brenda. (laughs) But I'm like, why do we need to fight each other? And we don't. We have a common enemy. We do have a common enemy. And that is the ex-husband. Yes, exactly. So in my teens and 20s, I understood the patriarchy was a flawed, fucked up thing. And I knew I was being adversely affected by it daily as a young woman, meeting sexism at every every turn. This is the Sarah Jessica Parker experience in that movie. However, now that I'm in my mid-30s, I understand it in a different way. I now understand that my so-called, quote, hot years as a young woman were actually the years in which I had the most value to society, whether or not I wanted anyone to think I was hot at all. And I usually didn't, right? To me, they were years of harassment and unwanted public attention. And I was kind of thinking like, oh, thank God, it'll be over soon. But now exiting those years, I'm faced with the flip side of this form of sexism. I am seen as fully disposable by society, which is great in terms of not being harassed by strange men, but it's not so great when you realize that in a society dominated by sexism and patriarchy, being disposable translates to my worth and value far outside of the realm of just dating. Uh, Because sexism is so entrenched in our society, it affects our livelihoods across the board, including our pay. While an attractive man might earn 4% more in the workforce than an unattractive man, for women, this figure is double that, jumping up to 8%. And since a woman's attractiveness is tied to her age, for women over 50, we actually see that the gender wage gap in the U.S., grows from women earning 82 cents for every dollar to just 55 cents per dollar once you pass 50. And that's when you need more money. Yes. And, you know, all of these people who try to defend this pay gap say, well, you know, women earn less because they choose to stay home and be moms. But women over 50 usually do not have young kids at home. If they have kids, they're school aged. A lot of them are in high school and they're at a position where, yeah, they're trying to save for their retirements. They have decades of experience in the workforce. They're highly skilled and they want to labor and they do not have any of the distractions that some people might say are the cause of the pay gap. So what we see is this is just blatant sexism, blatant misogyny. Researchers from the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco found that women experience age discrimination in hiring more than their like dude counterparts do. Measuring responses to fictitious job applications, they found that women between 64 and 66 needed to apply to nearly twice as many jobs to get the same number of interviews as a woman between 29 and 31. 
Uh, one explanation for these results was that women are especially likely to suffer from age discrimination because, quote, physical appearance matters more for women and age detracts more from physical appearance for women than for men, end Ugh. quote. And even just at 35, like, I see this play out in my own life. While I, at 35, am viewed as relatively washed up, a 35-year-old man in my same position would actually be viewed as young and full of potential. Yeah, prime, prime of his life. Right? If I were a 35-year-old man, everyone would be like, you're so young, you're just getting started. But I've never heard anybody describe me that way. However, whenever I like read articles about like men in business or men developing things or I don't know, whatever men do, anybody in their 30s is considered extremely young by that perspective. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this is just like, again... Or we were talking about how, like, you know, um, it, it it's, like, almost like capitalism functioning where it's, like, we can never stay young forever. That's just an impossibility. So you try to buy all the products to stay young forever because that's what society right. values. And it's just, like... It's an endless cycle to sell you shit. Um, and I was thinking about this, too. If I, at 35, were to date a man 10 years younger than me, at 25... Uh, what would I be called? They have a word for it. Cougar? I'd be a cougar. I'd be a cougar. Which is... <laughs> my, my grandma's like, I'm a cougar. And she's almost 90. I mean, I love that for your grandma. And, but her um, husband is only five years younger. <laughs> I mean, the thing about the word, though, is that it's linked to predatory behavior. Because, right, you're the cougar because you're on the prowl looking for young <laughs> men. But we don't have an equivalent of that for men who regularly date women a decade younger than that. Yeah, we don't call them like... It's just normal. Vultures or yeah. something like similar. If you met a 35-year-old man and he was like, here's my 25-year-old girlfriend, it wouldn't, you probably wouldn't even register that as being remotely uncommon or a thing that needed a word. Yeah, but if you dated someone 25, he will be like, oh. Right? Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> At some level, we know it's often kind of predatory as a culture to pursue people much younger than you, but we just don't really apply that understanding to men. Um, you know, and, and when I was in my late twenties, I had what people call an age gap relationship. I started dating a man who was in his late forties and I remember having to like actively pursue him and convince him that this was going to be a good idea. Like I had to convince him to date me. Um, like I was one step away from making a PowerPoint presentation because I was like for months, just like, come on, like we have the same sense of humor. We get along so well. We like all the same shit. Like you are so cool. I am so into you. And he was like, look, this is weird. Like, first of all, I don't date women under 30, like hardline ever. And even 30 is a little young for me. Like this is just too strange. And eventually I managed to wear him down because <laughs> I knew he knew it was a good match and it was it was a really good match um but he was very concerned about how it looked he didn't want to be that type of man and even though we had like chemistry he was acutely aware of the fact that with our age there could be some sort of power imbalance and um I was just kind of like look I'm I'm a bitch nobody has more power than me <laughs> I like how the idea of you making a PowerPoint presentation and the last slide is like, I'm a bitch. Yeah. I don't, you worry. I will never give a man the opportunity to have more power than me at anything if I have my way. And the funny thing is that I actually kind of convinced him. He was like, oh, I cannot see you letting anybody walk on you. I'm not that people let men walk on them, obviously. That's a bad way to, to phrase it. But, you know, it took some work basically for me to convince him this would would be all right and he did come around and we did have a really really good relationship 
Um, so I, I don't think like all heterosexual age gap relationships are bad or inherently evil or always the result of a power imbalance. I think it's more though that sometimes they are and we as a culture, we normalize that. And we, we give even, it a pass. We give it a pass and we try to come up with all these bizarre explanations for why it's just quote natural or just the way it is, which all seek to demonize women. It spreads this idea that aging is a woman's fault, that her only value is in her youth, and that women who realize that and of their own agency try to monetize that in some capacity uh, through sex work or even just strategic dating, like the Sarah Jessica Parker characters of First Wives Club, we demonize them as well. We call them the W word, uh, we call them gold diggers, whatever. Any pushback against the established power structure of patriarchy is seen as a threat. So when a younger woman says, hey, I see what's happening here and I think I'm gonna try to take advantage of it for my own financial gain, we go, no, that's bad. And then when a woman like over the age of 30 goes, hey, I see what's happening here and I think it's pretty bizarre and makes me uncomfortable, we go, ew, you're gross, stop talking old lady. And it just kind of leaves us in this place where boys will be boys and women will all be wrong. Ugh. So Kenna, what are all of your thoughts about this? <laughs> oh my gosh, I mean, so many thoughts. And yeah, it it just makes me think that like, yeah, it just really is just another, like, like fork of, uh, like, just patriarchy and misogyny where it's like, yeah, your only worth as a woman is to be docile, uh, to, you know, do what, uh, you know, men in power say, and that is to be young and hot forever. However, that is uh, actually impossible. And it, it seems like it's weird, like, in our, in, like, this culture, it's just, like, we, ex we really expect the impossible of people and then uh, really punish them if they don't live up to them. Like, you must be young and hot and healthy forever. And if you're not, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm like, uh, that's literally not possible. As far as I know, you can, you, we do not live forever. No, it's true. And I think also, yeah, it does tie into like how vitriolically angry like men get. And in some women, the patriarchy is upheld by women as well. When we see people try to exploit this, like when we see young women go, okay, I get it. So you've built a society where my only value is in my hotness and my hotness is explicitly linked to my youth and I don't have a chance of making as much money as men around me. And after the age of you know, 50 or whatever, that goes even down more. Uh, so I'm thinking the best thing to do is that if men want to be around me because I'm young and I need money, maybe I'll let them pay me for that service. And, and then we see that and we're like, the evil. That's yeah. so evil. As though it weren't the most rational thing in the world. And as though, like, this is the thing I think about too, where like obviously sex work is real work and that is so much labor. It's emotional labor on top of like physical labor. You know, it's a lot of work. And I think the thing that um, is interesting is that it's hard to draw the lines between what is and isn't sex work because of the nature of patriarchy. Because for so long, heterosexual dating has had some issue where like men have access to the money 
and women have to marry into a marriage like a marriage with a man in order to have access to that like the thing about the checking accounts like mm-hmm. how women couldn't have checking accounts until the 60s without their husband or father that's so wild that is not very long ago right it's not that's very like, long ago that's like our grandmas yes our grandmas had to get married to have a checking account and then you know we try to draw these hard lines in the sand between like well is that a gold digger is that your sugar daddy is that your boyfriend is this real love as though there's some sort of morality attached to how real a relationship is between a younger woman and an older man um which i encountered a lot too uh like my partner i had who who was older than me he did make more money than me and i remember consciously going out of my way to pay for 50 percent of everything because i was like i don't want you to think i'm only in this for the money but then you take a step back and you're like well, what would be the, the bad in that? What would be the bad in acknowledging that men have, you know, a lot of times access to more money because the patriarchy serves and benefits them. And that it's like a good way for some young women to try to better their own financial situation. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean you love or don't love somebody or anybody's being exploited or taken advantage of. It's just the system we've set up and then we shame people for how they try to survive within it. Yeah. And it's true. It's like you can't win. If you're, if you're the younger woman in this situation, society will shame you uh, for how you respond to it. And if you're the older woman, which hilariously is just someone like, what, over, over 30 is the older woman in this situation? Which is wild <laughs> to me because what's the average life expect- expectancy now? Like, it's like 80. 80? Yeah. So that's half of your fucking life. Yeah, more, more than half. More than half your life. That is you're the just, majority of your life. You were just a shrew. The the angry shrew who and then and then it's painted as though you're mad the men don't think you're hot anymore. And it's like, well no, I'm actually grateful the men don't think I'm hot anymore. Um but it's kind of messed up that was ever a thing. Yeah, and it's more about like the the power dynamic. The it's, power thing. It's not that like Oh, people aren't hitting on me as much anymore. It's like, no, I want power. I want respect. And respect. I mean, sometimes it could be like, whatever. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's more about the money, the power, the respect, like. Being seen as a human being. Yeah, just being seen (laughs) as like, hello, I am here. I am a whole nuanced person with lots of love to give. Yeah. And I think also like there's uh, just how... Again, we have this like weird, creepy cliche in society where it's like, okay, these men want this very specific type of like young, like barely legal, you know, 18 year old. And yet we are all, we as, as women, as feminine presenting people, as misogyny affected people, like anybody affected by misogyny is expected to carry like the brunt of that, the burden of that. And men get to just be like, Oh, that's just, it's just, it's natural. It's the way it is. And it's not my problem. And you're just sad. Yeah. And the thing is, is like this, like it might seem like men would be like, yeah, I get the better, but it, it, it actually harms them too. Cause they are really missing out. It's true. It, it definitely, it harms men because they're not able to like build partnerships in the same way. I mean, not that they can't build partnerships, but like the thing where um, the study showed that men who financially outperform their peers seek like younger and younger partners because they appreciate being like flattered by them. But at the same time, they don't want to believe that they're the type of man who has a sugar baby. You know, they're like, I don't, I'm not paying for this. I don't need to pay for this. And it's like, well, sir, no, you are. You're paying for this woman to be young and near you. Like what she gets out of the arrangement, you're clearly not like a caring and compassionate partner for her on her level. She gets money. 
and, and there's just like this delusion where they're like, well, I would never do that. But then it's like, well, you're in this arrangement where unless you're really, really charming and fun, which most of them aren't, that's why she's here. She's here for that. And yeah. you want to shame her for that and set up this construct where you would never be that type of man rather than acknowledging like, hey, it's okay to be that type of man. If it's like a, a transactional relationship, like you can acknowledge that and make sure the transactional part is beneficial for her as well. Make sure it's beneficial for everybody. And it's a bummer too that it's like, you know, it's one of those things that doesn't just affect women who date men. Um, It affects anybody affected by misogyny, whether they want to be involved in this or not. They're kind of held hostage by it. I think it even goes into like how our society views queerness and like women in queer relationships and how, you know, like it's totally cool to be a lesbian as long as you're hot by like men's standard of beauty, not like Ugh. like women or queer standards of beauty. You know, all of these things are affected uh, by the overarching reach of patriarchy. And obviously, like patriarchy, it's not new. Like we all know, this is like a bad thing. But we're all held hostage to this, like whether we actually care about it or want it to affect our lives or not. Yeah, nobody can escape it, and nobody's really benefiting from it. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I think, like, the funniest thing to me, though, is, like, um, the all of our grandpas are creeps thing. Because I just think about my grandpa, and I'm like, oh, my grandpa, he's so sweet. He was such a sweet man, you know. He was with my grandma his whole life. But I'm like, well, every time an 18-year-old walked by, was he like, yeah, you know? Like, (laughs) is there no, like, nothing pure and special and sacred in this world? No. There's nothing. Maybe. I'm going to do a hopeful maybe. Maybe. Maybe the men will be mature. And I think, like, you know, there is the light at the end of the tunnel, obviously, which is, like, gender equality, right? It's, like, the countries with more of the gender equality don't run into this so much. But it's really sad that we're lagging so far behind in that. There were 53 in that out of, like, 183 countries. This is the one time where I would like to say we're number one. Right? It would be great. It would be great. Also, I don't know like how much I trust those studies because all of the um all of the countries that did rank high on gender like equality, they are all like Nordic white countries. So I'm also like, well, how much bias goes into deciding yeah. that? How much are these like white people looking at other cultures and maybe not fully understanding them or how they mm-hmm. operate or yeah. how like gender is treated in these other cultures? It's like this maybe white perspective of gender equality, which I think is like worth pointing out. Um, but I think by any way you look at gender equality, I live in the United States. It's not, it's not great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like no matter whose who's, uh, impression you're using, what I've encountered, uh, it's, not, it's not so good here. And we are. We're just kind of taught to be grateful for what we get, especially as like, misogyny-affected people in the workforce. Yeah. You know? The money thing. That ties into it all the time. Like, oh, I would be lucky. To, to work for this company and make these shit garbage wages while this man with less qualifications than me who does not deal with misogyny, you know, gets to make more money than me for doing the same job or less of a job. Yeah. And we talk about that sometimes too, where it's like people with virtually no skills can talk their way into these highly skilled jobs yeah. and nobody even questions it if they're a man. Yeah. It's like a confidence man. Yes. Yeah. And then you see like, especially in tech, I think about this, you see all these like misogyny affected people working in tech who come forward and they're like, yeah, it was treated like garbage at this place. Um, I had more years of coding experience than these men around me. And I was doing like lower paid, lower tier work for years. And when I pointed this out, they fired me. Yeah. You know, and you see that constantly at these huge companies 
that's I think why the guy who worked for maybe Google do you remember when the guy who worked for Google sent out like the company-wide memo just like being super misogynistic and talking about how women were like complainers and there wasn't a place for them at like in the tech world oh I feel like yeah it was something where he was like well it's just about biology and I'm like what I don't like we're just more biologically inclined to be complainers yeah he so I forget what it was but it definitely had something to do with like well the biology blah 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 it's like uh, that's not real. Bro. No, it's not real. And he ended up being this, like, of course, like, alt-right, like, martyr because he got fired. And this was when a bunch of, like, uh, women were, like, suing in tech for all this discrimination they were facing. But, yeah, that's the thing. It's, like, men conveniently want to try to fall back on biology whenever there's something with gender that they don't understand. Yeah, and it's you just, know? like, no. No, it's not biological. Like, these things are are they're socialized they're built into our societies it's not there's not some magical like nature like natural this is how it naturally is yeah people think like when people start saying natural i'm like whoa like sometimes (laughs) sometimes it's you know completely inert but sometimes when people's natural you're like whoa or biology or biology you're like whoa it's always some weird orange flag yeah (laughs) especially as it pertains to gender yeah you're like uh Right. It's very, very weird and it's very ignorant. And yeah, I don't know. This is just, I, I, I've heard about this, the OkCupid studies when they first came out, like 2010. And I just, I always have them in the back of my head. I, I think it's, I just always think about that because it's so, there's a graph actually, if you look this up online, you can see the graph and there's a graph of like a man's age versus the woman he finds most attractive. And um, it's just like a single column of age 20-year-old women all the way down. But for the women's, you look, it's like a woman's age versus the man she finds most attractive. And it's it's a proportional diagonal line. It's like, I'm 45. This 45-year-old man looks nice to me. You know, and it's kind of, it's a little scattered, but for the most part, it's a 45-degree line. And then when you see it visually, it's just so stark. Um, it's like the visual representation of misogyny. <laughs> Oh, of course it's a vertical line. It's a vertical line. And <laughs> and then to learn, oh, it's only 20 because that was the youngest option you had. <sighs> and then in the ones with the 18, that that was good. They were like, yeah, this 18 sounds, a, a teenager's perfect also, for me. Also, who still uses OkCupid? Okay I mean, it was old. These are old dads. <laughs> I just, but... no, but I had this, this thought like, I wonder who still uses OkCupid. Okay I don't know. It's like, are there people out there who still use MySpace? Well, MySpace, for a while, they were trying to push their MySpace music. I remember And they shut that. down everything else. And I remember some of my friends who work in, like, the industry were like, yeah, I'm doing a MySpace music job. Like, the pay is pretty good, you know? Weird. So weird, yeah. It is also interesting how, like, these um, social media platforms fall in and out of popularity, you know? Yeah. Like, oh. I've been around for a lot of them. <laughs> the first one I joined was Makeout Club. Ooh. Yeah. I yeah. remember Makeout Club. Right. And then there was, oh, gosh. Oh my gosh, I'm like... Mad Red Hair, Lipstick Party, and then Friendster was the first nerdy one. I was on Friendster. Um, And now Facebook's trying to do their own like Facebook dating thing. Yeah, it's like supposed to match you based on like your... I don't know. I don't know what what it does. Like matches you based on your preference, something like that. But yeah, it's like we've got all these dating apps. We've got all this stuff going on. And I mean, I I met my boyfriend on a dating app. Which is just so wild to think about. Yeah. I mean... Another six years. Yeah. I mean, they're not bad, you know, of 
themselves like you know yeah they're not bad but the thing i did like about okay cupid is they always did release very funny like data sets like you could tell they were just like spreadsheet nerds who started it <laughs> and i'm a spreadsheet nerd so when they would do these and they wrote the book dataclism is, is about like a bunch of their studies they found about like dating oh whoa. and they're the same ones who did the study where they're like hey look like if you are attractive to a large pool of people that's actually not as good as being attractive to only a specific subset of people. Interesting. Yeah, so they also did the study where they showed um, like a woman who was very, very cute, just like girl next door, beautiful, friendly looking. And they, like out of the sample of men, the majority of men were like, yes, this is an attractive woman. They ranked her very high, you know, everyone's like, she's great. But nobody messaged her. And then, by contrast, they had this, like, freak goth alt girl. <laughs> and she was just like, Bleh, you know. And cool. um, most men were like, oh, zero out of ten. Do not like. But the, the men who liked her were like, ten out of ten. I'm obsessed. Oh, my gosh. And she got the most messages. And they were like, you don't need to worry about trying to be attractive to the largest number of people. Like, you just need to worry about being yourself and, like, the people who like you will really like you. And I'm like, this is so positive and sweet. Oh my gosh. Side note. This is how, when I did sales, like clothing sales, that was like me. Like most customers, I feel like did not like me, but I was the best at sales at the store because the people who did like me, uh, who liked just my personality bought a ton. Yeah. The people who like you really like you. But the people, but the majority of people like just did not I find that hard to believe. Did not care. <laughs> I don't know how. Working retail is hard, <clears throat> especially hard. when you're selling expensive stuff. Yes, it is. That's hard for sure. But even like, oh God, like even like the retail thing like ties in with um, like the women and the hiring and the, you know, it's like that's a job you can age out of. You can age out of working retail if you're not hot enough as like a, a feminine person. Oh you know? Like, I mean, yeah, so that's the thing. It's like. I think that's the thing that I, you know, regarding my age has, have been worried about is like income. Yeah. I like, think about it constantly. I, I mean, I did have an experience where I did not get a job because I revealed that I was over 30. Oh, I remember you telling me about this. And it this. was, it really fucked me up. But, yeah. you know, blessing in disguise, it was so good that I didn't get that job. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that guy's a creep. Yeah. Oh God. Men are so creepy. <laughs> It's so wild. I think about, too, I've told this story, like, before on the internet, but, like, my mom, um, <clears throat> she's usually single. Like, she dates. And when she was in her 40s, she went to this bar with a bunch of her friends after work. They were all in their 40s. And they get to this bar, and there's a table of, like, cute 20-year-old girls. And I guess one of my mom's friends from work was like, those fucking bitches. Now the men will never pay attention to us. And my mom was like, those are not fucking bitches. Like, those are just very, those are just nice girls. Like, they seem nice, and I'm glad they're here. Because as long as they're there weeding out the 40-year-old dudes who want to be with a girl half their age, I know I'm not going to waste my time on somebody. Like, I'm happy they're there. They're kind of, like, taking all the bad dudes away from me anyway. Yeah. Like, I want to be with somebody who's going to respect me as their equal and their peer, and... They're here for something else, and that's fine. And we can coexist in this world, and we both have, like, our needs and wants and whatever. And I thought that was really cool because I'm like, yeah, like, first of all, check your friends when they're like, fuck other women, you yeah. know? Like, that's that, not that's great. Like, that, I feel like that's, like, that's like something that is, like, a, a common thing that I see where other, like, women are fucking mean to other women. And you're like, why? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like you said earlier. Like, we're... we're 
we're all like anybody affected by misogyny like we're on the same team in a lot of ways not all the time but you know in in a lot of ways and how like we deal with and relate to misogyny is not something we're necessarily I think it's the most important thing is to throw other people under the bus for how they react to it I think it's more to recognize that like we all in our lives have different tools at our disposal have different thresholds and tolerances for certain activity have different um like things that make sense to us for how to respond to misogyny we encounter and it's gonna be different for all of us Mm -hmm. and um as long as nobody's getting actively hurt you know yeah it's okay for people to relate to things in different ways in ways maybe you might not and for sure I, i think like again it just like mirrors like uh it mirrors like the state of patriarchy for us to try to judge and shame women for how they respond to it rather than critique the existence of it on the whole. We're, we, sometimes I feel like a lot of what we do in our culture is direct um, energy towards the wrong things. Yes. We're like being like, we're being kind of like directing all our anger at something that isn't the real thing because the real thing is really tricky and hard. Yes, and it's easy to take like the yeah the easy way out like the the shorter path rather than seeing like the long term thing we need to fix. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. It's very interesting though, and I think about it. You know, it's not just like a a woman complaining about dating a man type of thing. You know, because like I said, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a woman who dates men for this to affect you. Like anybody affected by misogyny encounters this. Um, and even, like, just the way our, our society is structured and set up, it, it all reflects, like, these issues. And we minimize them and we make it, like, a pop culture trope. Um, but in reality, maybe we are all the first wives. We are. You, you either die Sarah Jessica Parker or you live long enough to see yourself become the first wives. <laughs> <laughs> or, or something. I don't know. <laughs> Second wives. A wife. <laughs> Okay, so before we're all done with this week's episode, we do have a message um, somebody left from our Patreon that we're going to go ahead and play. It's a question, and Kenna and I are going to answer it. And if you, too, would like to subscribe to our Patreon, we are patreon.com slash scared For $2 a month, you can get the link to leave us your messages, and we will talk to you and help you with any of your problems you might have. Uh, the whole nine yards. Or, at the very least, we will just ramble about whatever topic you gave us. Yay! Hi, my name is Tatum. I'm 17 from Phoenix, Arizona, and I was wondering if you had any advice on how to start a punk band just like with like me and my me and my besties, you know? You know how it is. We're all like in the music, the like local punk scene and um just wanted to start a band since you've like been there, done that. Uh, I was wondering if you have any advice. Also, you're literally one of my biggest role models and I hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so exciting that you want to start a band. I am like fully like, I think that everyone should join a band, a punk band at one point in their life. I am fully convinced. I have been in bands starting when I was like 16. Um, In like, I started out in a really small town in Colorado that just happened to be inhabited by a lot of weirdos with good music taste. So I was in a noise band. (laughs) Love that. And then when I moved to Denver, I was in a band with my two best friends and we played out of a VW van and we would play outside. We would wear 
bikinis and uh, uh, do fireworks, which I would not do now, but I was a teenager at the time, and throw stuffed animals and just rage, and it was really fun. And my advice on starting a band is, uh, first thing, uh, just do it, uh, which sounds bad, which uh, I don't mean to use Nike catchphrase, but don't be afraid. Like, if it's a punk band, it doesn't, it doesn't need to sound good. It doesn't need to, you just... Getting started is honestly like the hardest part. If it's just you, if it's you and your best friend, if it's you and someone you know who lives kind of close by, or even if it's like, you know, over the internet, I am like full force from it. And um, I think like now if I were starting a band, I would probably start by making like a mixtape for whoever I wanted to collaborate with, with like my favorite sounds or sounds that I feel inspired by or like my favorite songs and just, or even like make a mood board or like, you know, we love Pinterest here. We love Pinterest. We're Pinterest moms. We are Pinterest moms and (laughs) proud. (laughs) Yes. Um, but I feel like, yeah, like make a, make a mixtape. That is very important. Like, I also feel like um, you know, it's better if it's worse is my favorite way to view uh, both music and sci-fi. Like, I don't even think you need to learn how instruments work. Like, no, some you of, don't. Some of the most interesting music I've ever heard is like the Shags or Half Japanese. And both of those music projects were started with people literally not understanding how notes came out of their, their instruments. And they just just made up their own sound for what they thought it was supposed to be. And it's so unique. It's so cool. Like, you could use a guitar like a percussive instrument. Like, it doesn't matter. You can yeah. bang it against stuff. To me, stuff. like, I come from, like, noisy. I'm like, you don't even need instruments. No. You can just download free software on your laptop. It doesn't matter if your laptop's 13 years old or brand new. Like, you can record on your phone to, like, ambient sounds. You can just record yourself, like, singing melodies. And there's so many, like... I'm so grateful for like YouTube now and stuff like that that can show you how to do like music programs. It's like this, like you don't need a a guitar in a garage anymore. Like that's true. And that's something I don't think about very much, but it's like so much more accessible if you, obviously I love the sound of like a guitar and a shitty drum set, right? Like that's the noise I like to listen to. But if you live in a place where maybe you can't make a lot of noise or you don't have a garage to practice in, or you don't have money to like rent a studio space, the cool thing about doing music on your computer now is that it's so accessible. Like with GarageBand, you can record something on your own and play around and like kind of was saying, like just record shit on your phone. Throw, like don't don't worry about anything being good or being cohesive. Like make it all sound like fad gadget. That's like weirdo, like punk style electronic music you can make yourself on your computer. Like the nature of like what punk means has changed so much and there's so much flexibility. Like right now, I think the most punk person I know is our friend Baby Lungs and her music is oh, all, she rocks. she's the most punk person. And it, when you listen to it, it's not what you would maybe traditionally think of as punk, but you know, she makes it all herself, like in her house. And now she, sometimes she works with other people, but starting out, I remember one day she was like, I think I want to make music. And then like a week later, she hit me up and was like, Hey, I made an album. It's out. And I'm like, within a week, that's yeah. so cool. And yeah. I think you just need to bring the energy and like a thing we talk about a lot at work or completing any tasks is perfection is the enemy of done. So if you want to do stuff like Kenna said, you just have to jump in and do it and don't worry too much about it being good or bad or whatever. Like it's probably going to be bad and that's half the fun. Like it should yeah. be bad. Bad is good. Bad is great. Yeah. That's punk. <laughs> yeah. Make bad art. Um, 
but yeah, the biggest regret I have actually, even though I've like messed around with music my whole life is I've, I've never played in a band and that's something I just never like pulled the trigger on and did. And I, that's a regret I live with. So we could still form a band, you know, <laughs> we, could, we could make that a Patreon tier. We will form a band well, at Ken- a certain tier. Kenna has been wanting a Tunnel Vision family band because like everybody at work <laughs> kind of plays music. And she's like, come on guys, we can make this happen. Tunnel Vision family band. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to um, support us on Patreon, um, you can listen to um, our first bonus episode. And you can also leave us voicemails and messages and we um, may answer them for you. Um, But if you don't want to subscribe to the Patreon, we love you so much. Um, Thank you again.